I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today, we have a very different segment for you. I've been reading a lot about NFTs, these non-fungible tokens, things that you can collect digitally. Well, you can pay for them. Some of them are free, but most you pay for. And they're basically anything that could be digital, in the form of art, music, objects from video games, trading cards, videos, even tweets. Actually, one of the first NFTs was bought from the first tweet from Jack Dorsey from Twitter for $2.9 million. Oh my God, what is this thing? And why is Carol talking about it? Well, there's this entire new direction of NFTs to benefit causes and that think about going to the grocery store and you're asked if you want to round up. Well, NFTs, there are various configurations, but every time they're sold or resold, a portion can go to the favorite charity of the creator. Um, there are some individuals like Jack Dorsey. He gave away all of that money that $2.9 million in the U.S. and in Africa. So there are many ways that not-for-profits need to jump on this in a thoughtful way, creating their own NFTs. If you're an animal sanctuary, you can take pictures of your animals and upload them, and then they could be um, basically sold. They can be monetized. And it's not that difficult to do. Today's conversation with Nick Fontova, who is the chief marketing officer for the Metaverse team at Landmark Ventures. Ooh, that sounds really scary or interesting. Well, I'm calling this segment NFTs for Dummies. Now, you're not the dummy. I, Carol, I'm the dummy. Nick is going to tell us how to do it why this is important, and why this is something that we really need to pay attention to in whether you call it the metaverse or Web 3.0. So join me. You're going to hear and learn about the Bored Ape Yacht Club. What is that? Bored Apes? Well, there's thousands of them. So join us and learn about getting really smart about this and then how you can truly fundraise for your organization or your friend's organization if you're on a board, learn about NFTs and see how you truly can have a lot of, a little bit of bragging rights at that next event to say, hey, we've jumped on this and we've really made it for good. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It was so great to meet you. And that was my first social innovation summit. I am very fortunate to be the first um, on the on the on the Genesis Metaverse team at Landmark. So we we think we're in the NFT space for some of the right reasons. And it's nice to work for a company who has a long history of doing good. Now being in the NFT space um, in a very very um, not call it a nefarious space at all, but it's such a, it's a new space. It's the wild wild it's the west. Wild west. And, and, in the Wild West, people robbed trains and there were shootouts, <laughs> but, but there was a lot of gold and there was a lot of opportunity. And if 
if you were one of the first people to get out there and mark your claim, there was generational wealth and, and foundation. And that's kind of the exciting part about just any new new industry. So great. Um, so why don't we just start with the basics? Can you explain what an NFT is, what the the initials stand for, and then what can they be used for and how did it come about? And, you know, just the beginning. It, it's it's always a challenge. And I hear people explain it in different ways. And sometimes they go over people's heads. So I try to make it a little easier. I mean, technically, it's a non-fungible token is what NFT means. which just means it's non-fungible means it's non-replicable. And we're in this new digital space with email and internet. People are talking about metaverse. And the way I explained it, I think... I. I Last week, I was speaking to the Smithsonian. We have an artist that we work with named Nick Davis, and he's a digital artist. And the Smithsonian said, we're still trying to get our heads wrapped around NFTs. Do we really need NFTs? You know, and my immediately, and this is the way I explained it, I said, well, Nick Davis is one of our artists, and Nick suffers from really debilitating seizures and medical conditions. So Nick doesn't do traditional art. Um, there's a lot of barriers to traditional art to paint. You need paint programs. Our programs are expensive. If I want to do a thousand paintings, it's a lot of paint. It's a lot of brushes. There's there's an, actually an economic barrier. Some artists now make their art on a digital screen. Maybe it's an iPad. But if they make a beautiful flower or a picture of a statue or a picture of a landscape on that digital screen, an NFT is just us acknowledging that they created that asset. Until we had NFTs, anybody could take that picture or screenshot and use it as their own. What, what we can do now with this new NFT technology is if your 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 kid or your, or your friend makes an image on an iPad, they can stop. They can say, wow, I've made this amazing. I've completed this image. It just exists digitally. There isn't a painting somewhere. This isn't a copy of a painting. This is the original artwork. How can we put a stamp on that? How can we put a timestamp? How can we marker that that's the original image? And that's really where NFTs came from. It was just to help people that were making digital images or assets to be able to say, hey, I made this. I, I have ownership of this particular image. And if the Smithsonian didn't want to take NFTs, poor guys like Nick Davis who make digital images would never be recognized. So I almost feel like NFTs are just a necessary technological advancement to recognize people making things digitally. Um, and I think that's really cool. Um, because again, I, you can you can give an iPad to students in, in a, at a school that may not have the privileges of a great art program, and they can make thousands of NFTs now, and that's art. They can sell that art, they can own that art, and I think it really opens up a lot of doors. Is what NFTs do. The market now is huge. Yeah, you know, I, so you know, Bloomberg said what it was over forty one billion dollars, and that might have been a year ago. Oh, it's just starting. It's going to be five trillion in a few years. I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's growing really fast. And so you talk about art, and that makes sense. Um, but also, what photographs can be in NFT? And can you talk about the range of items that are becoming NFTs? Well, I could talk forever. It's 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 so neat because um, you know, there's a program. Um, for horse racing, um, I own a couple NFT horses uh, called Zed Run horses. I can race those horses. <laughs> I can enter in races for money. I can breed those horses. I can put it into stud and people will pay me to breed with my horse and they get to keep the fowls and they can race them. We can really recreate anything digitally in the real world now that we can have ownership of it. 
So it really started with art because I always thought there were barriers to art, you know, unless you were a bit wealthy, you know, I would watch movies when I was a kid and it was a room full of people smoking cigars and they were bidding on art and you would pick up the ping pong table and you'd say, oh, a thousand over here, 2000. I was never going to be in that room. That was a very small, isolated, exclusive room to be in. The cool thing about NFTs is now that these NFTs are these incredible art pieces or digital images, anybody can bid on them. So, so that room became a lot bigger. So, you know, you can sit on your couch and you can buy art now. You don't have to be at Christie's or part of an exclusive group. So really just art, a lot of art has moved to NFTs because it's just a bigger market for artists. Um, we've always talked about the starving artists. It's really, it really is very hard to be an artist. And I've, I've been in the art world a long time and had a lot of friends. And all my artist friends, that was their second job, meaning they were waiting tables and doing art. Because someone has to approve your art in their galleries for a chance to sell it. And it's very hard to sell art. The thing about NFTs, if you create a beautiful NFT, you now have a market of people in China, Indonesia, and Germany that could all find and buy your beautiful art, which is really new for artists. It's, it really has given all the power to the artists and the collectors and not really the middlemen anymore, or the, the people that would stand at the door and say, is your art good enough to be in my gallery? We've kind of pushed the gallery owners aside and the artists are now dealing directly with the with their communities and their buyers. And that's kind of what we talked about before we came on the air. So t- so tell me, so how does it work? So, okay, I bought this NFT of a beautiful flower and I want to look at it. Uh, and so do I have a device that I can bring up my NFT and it's it's scrolling over different NFTs on my desk? Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing. Um, you own that rights to all that digital image now. I'll print it out and hang it on my wall as a physical, but I bought it the digital image as an NFT um, because that's the way the artist created it. So it's probably easier for me to buy an NFT from someone. I have some, a, some, a favorite artist in Germany and buy that NFT now and go to my print shop, own that and print it for them to send me that picture from Germany. That's a lot of, that's a lot of travel. That's a lot of shipping. That's a lot of expense. That'll, that's a lot of wear and tear on the environment. Um, but what I also do is exactly what you were talking about. There's some amazing new digital screens so in my kitchen, I have my NFTs. I have a morning reel for some of my <laughs> favorite thought, morning yeah. NFTs. Great. I've got them on a rotating and every 30 seconds, it's kind of like a futuristic newbie, but really, it's a really great way for me to really enjoy my NFTs. I've got over 200. I love to look at them. So I've got them on my watch, on my Apple watch. I've got them on my screensaver, on my phone. I've, I've printed some out. And I think the new, another neat way to explain it, I think, you know, if you were a successful young actor or a musician and you, and you made a little bit of money, you wanted to show it off. So I remember when I was a kid, it was always Lamborghinis and, and jewelry. <laughs> you know, you drive your Lamborghini to the club and everybody would see that was your big moment for TMZ or you'd big, big flashy chains for everybody to see you. Now that we spend so most of our time on Facebook and Instagram, that's kind of where people want to show off their money. And these NFTs now, the ones you mentioned, Bored Apes, some of the higher NFTs, they're just the same kind of cultural value. Instead of now spending that on people that see you go into the club, if you make it your profile picture on Twitter and you've got three or four million followers, I think a lot of these celebrities and musicians are realizing that's a whole new way to express wealth or culture or being part of something. So it's really very similar to any human instincts. We've seen all this before. We're just now seeing it digitally. It's the same thing we've seen before in other places, I think. 
collecting them. I love the fact that you're you're collecting horses. I'm a horse person that people know, so that's cool. I have to look that up. But then how do you buy them? What's the currency? I, I hear you've got to use Ethereum and cryptocurrency. And so that's where I get really a little bit muddled. I can help. You know, it's actually, <laughs> there's always a problem that this stuff solves. I think a lot of people go, why do we need this? Well, think of the problems that they're solving. If I wanted to buy a piece of art from somebody that, let's say, was in Mexico, we use dollars in the United States and they use pesos. So I can't really trade with them. There's a, there's a, there's a, if I wanted to trade with someone in Germany, well, they've got the franc and I've got a US dollar. So how would I buy something from them? There's a currency exchange. These new cryptocurrencies, the real cool thing is they're just one global currency. So if I want to buy an asset that's an Ethereum asset or or an NFT on the Ethereum blockchain, which is a, a currency, Ethereum is the same in Africa, Nigeria, China, Germany. It's kind of, we created this worldwide banking system that's our own currency. So now someone in Indonesia can list something as an NFT and I can buy it with an Ethereum. Or someone in Mexico could buy it with Ethereum or Alaska. Or um, I think it's just taking all the localized governments and all those structures again and decentralizing it. It's It's really hard to buy assets in other countries because again, they have other currencies where... Ethereum, this internet currency, you just need a computer. So I think that's the big misnomer about Ethereum. My friends say, well, that's just internet money. At any time, I can hit a button and my Ethereum goes right to my bank as US dollars. So yeah, is it difficult to set up a wallet? Heck no. It's, it's heck really no. easy. Heck okay. No. It's, what will we do? Coinbase. I mean, you go to coinbase.com. Um, and Coinbase is just like setting up a bank account. You put in your information and it says, you know, create your wallet. And then, you know, you can set up your credit card and you can buy Ethereum, you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy all of these cryptocurrencies. Now, I am not a big fan of all of these millions of cryptocurrencies. And I know you probably heard the term crypto bros. It's these guys that are looking for the next crypto coin to make a lot of money. I just really am more on a, on a higher level. I just see it as a, as, as a, as a currency. I, I only need Ethereum. I, I, I actually use it as a currency to trade NFTs. So I, I, I don't want people to say what, what, blockchain. Ethereum for me is the main one. Um, You know, so NFTs are a little different than cryptocurrency. Now, are you in NFTs because you want to collect art and you want to support artists and such? Or are you in it for the enhanced value as an investment vehicle? When I first started, I was an art collector. So I actually did come in. So the first reason was I couldn't believe that I had access to all this incredible art. And I'm kind of nomadic. I travel around. Um, I'm never in one place. So to collect art for me was always very difficult. I just, it was a problem. It was a problem to store it. And I knew darn well, if I went to a gallery and I saw a beautiful art piece, that I was never going to sell it. I don't know how to sell art. It's, again, it's, it's a difficult industry. When NFTs came about, I actually first heard about it from my brother. And he said, hey, you know, these artists are doing NFTs. And I thought, well, this, I didn't get it. I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't mm-hmm. get oh, good. Yeah, until, I'm not the only one. <laughs> I, oh, I, I didn't understand what a digital asset was until I actually, until I bought a few of them. But when I got in early, I did see the excitement of the fact that, oh, wow, I can buy this piece of art. And if I don't the next day necessarily love that I bought it, I can sell it. So it was so liquid. The fact that they're so liquid and they're so global made it really, it felt like not much of a risk, you know? They've made trading NFTs so easy on these platforms. It's easier than listing on Craigslist. It's easier than eBay. It's easier than Amazon. Just really easy to shop. 
purchase and to sell to a total global market. So there's so many buyers and there's so many sellers. Um, it just, again, it gave me access to be able to be an art trader, which I just, who, who thought? Who, who thought anybody could be an art trader? So so let's pivot here now because you're so excited by it and, and you're, you know, a real evangelist. Let's talk about NFTs for good. Because this seems like, you know, you know you, you, if you go to the local grocery store in the real world and they say, you know, would you like to round up a dollar, you know, to go to the local food bank? And it would and, you know, some people do, some people don't. Maybe it's 20, 30 percent, um, depending on if you're asked. Now there's this whole new opportunity with artists and creators and such to have almost, I don't know if it's automatic, where a portion of the proceeds can go to a designated um, charity that they like. So it seems like a wonderful new opportunity. So let's dive into that. It's the most exciting part about it. And, you know, there's a term someone used at a conference that I've stolen from them, and it's decentralized generosity. Ah, I like that. And you you mentioned the word. It's just opportunity to give. I remember in college not having many what I thought were opportunities to donate that fit my college lifestyle. Like you you had to really reach out. It's not that I think kids in our generation or people in our generation don't want to give. I just think there's less opportunities with our busy lives. And with NFTs, it is such a great, easy opportunity. But we have a remarkable women NFT. Anytime you bought our NFT, when we first put it on sale, 10% of that NFT in the contract, which is the cool part, the, this, this new blockchain, you actually put the dynamic of the contract, it's visible to everybody. So when you donated your money, 10% was automatically funneled into a separate fund for our donate, our, our charity component. But it's cool that you can see that. You know, I, I think that's another thing. You never knew if you were being scammed by a charity. And the cool thing about the blockchain and about these NFTs, you can't really scam people with with the contract. So, you know, after our Remarkable Women sold out, we gave $60,000 to the Fund for Women's Equality. We were partners with Gloria Steinem, which is just a dream come true. I mean, and, and it was right off the bat, but even more importantly, every time on a secondary sale, and this is the thing about NFTs, because we can trace them on the blockchain, if I'm a regular artist and I sell you a painting and you sell it to your friend down the street, well, I don't know about that as the original artist. I'm not going to benefit from that. On the blockchain with NFTs, there's a secondary component. So every time that NFT is transferred forever from owner to owner, a percentage goes back into our fund. So we have made secondary donations of 4 Ethereum, another donation of 4 Ethereum to different charities. So as long as our NFT is in existence and people are trading it, sharing it, there will always be money that is automatically directed to a fund. And our community, the owners of the NFTs, vote on what we do with that money. So it's this wonderful new charity component of our of our projects. We liked it so much, we did it again with our Black is Beautiful NFT with Nick Davis. We just had an event in New York where we donated our first $10,000 to Morehouse College. We've got an HBCU component of our new collection. And again, 10% of the initial drop, we split up between five HBCUs. And right now, as we're sitting here, everyone sold today, a secondary component, 10% goes into a fund, and we find more charity. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to the Cincinnati Zoo. I, I'm big into animal conservation. Just as a kid, I was brought up in a Montessori school, and I really always was concerned about animal conservation. And I'm trying to work with some of the zoos and just kind of say, look how much money, instead of asking for money to donate to, to, to animal conservation for the hippos, 
why don't we make an NFT of a hippo? Why don't we make a collection of awesome photographs or art pieces of this hippo and sell that as the donation? Is I would rather get an NFT or a piece of art to solidify or to memorialize my contribution than a letter from somebody that I hang on my fridge that says, thanks for your donation. And I think that's the neat thing. I think these companies that are asking for donations are realizing, wow, in, in, instead of just asking for a donation, why don't we ask them to buy maybe an art piece that represents that donation? And heck, that art piece might be worth more than the donation some year if it's a cool piece of art. And, you know, I think that now that we can play with this fun, exciting element really makes donating a lot more fun. And it brings art into donation and beauty and culture. And, and I love the scale. And, and um, one of the um, tenets of NFTs are, are the communities that build around a collection or an idea, such as the the Board Ape Yacht Club, which I we're going to put it put a note in that in our show notes. But that's like whoa! And there's a there's how many? I don't know how many of those there are. There, there's ten thousand, and there's only ever going to be ten thousand. Very that, scarce. So it's going to be scarce. Exactly. And they say, well, how can there only be ten thousand? You know, because that's all there is. No, no. And then and then I see that there's celebrities that are buying Board Ape. Yeah, and the the reason it works is. I can give an analogy, you know, baseball cards used to be really popular and they kind of lost their appeal. And the reason was, let's say a baseball card company put out their baseball cards and everybody really liked the Pete Rose card. The only way they're going to make more money is to put more cards out there, to sell more cards. And that bleeds out the rarity. Now that Pete Rose card I have, it's not very special anymore because to make money, you had to sell more and put them on the market. That's the cool thing about these NFTs. There's only 10,000 board apes. They make their money on the secondary sales. Some of it can go to a charity, but also these companies every time. If I sold my board ape today, a percentage would go to the company. So they're able to keep scarcity. So that's the neat thing about the board apes. That's why everybody wanted to get one. It was, well, there's not that many out there and they're never going to release anymore. The ability to maintain that value and scarcity is kind of novel. And I, I think that's one of the reasons NFTs, um, that's, a, that's an interesting angle that I think is critical to understand. Yeah, let, let's talk about human behavior and scarcity. You know, FOMO, yeah. fear of missing oh. out, right? Because oh. I hear oh. a lot of people when they're talking about NFTs that they're saying, well, it's really about a whole behavioral and cultural shift. So what do you think about that? I, I, I do, again. And I just want to be clear because people say, oh, you know, my friends will meet me. This guy's got a board ape. You got a lot of money. I bought my board ape for 200 bucks. You know, I buy NFTs when they're low. I was there very early. I absolutely can't justify the value of some of these NFTs. You know, I'm not on a pulpit saying that Board 8 should be worth millions of dollars, but our culture values new and novel and original. You know, CryptoPunks is another one. It was one of the first NFTs. And, you know, whether in high school there was a certain jacket called a starter jacket, and that was the cool jacket. Right. Or, or, I remember or that. Certain, right. Or a certain pair of shoes. And there are only so many. And if you had the certain pair of shoes, these are just the same things now digital. And again, instead of buying a Lamborghini, I think a, 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 you know, a young musician that got his first check is going, well, I can buy this Lamborghini, which obviously is, you know, I, I'm not going to get to the grocery store any faster. There's no value to a Lamborghini, <laughs> right, right. except that you drive a Lamborghini. Is that now they're, they're weighing that decision versus a $200,000 profile picture NFT? Because they know, wow, even more people will see this. When I get up in the morning, 4 million people see this asset. So it's an interesting way people are starting to value membership in these NFTs. Um, and yeah, when, when some celebrities bought some board apes, 
yeah, it's fun to be in these groups or even associated with it. And, and right now people are overpaying for this kind of cultural phenomenon. Um, but again, we had, you know, there was, again, I, I just, the difference I think this time around is it's not a fad, is there's some sustainability with NFTs, there's some actual back. So, so let's talk, thank you for saying sustainability, because I'm going to segue to, you know, that there's a lot of energy burned by all of these servers around the globe carrying the blockchain, especially for NFTs. And I've heard this is the size of Peru or or such. And But I've also heard that there's some innovators, like I hear that Ethereum 2.0 is working to reduce its energy by almost 100%. 90, 99.8. It's a very timely question. Um, and that was a very difficult question and answer for me because, again, honestly, at the very beginning, the excitement around what was happening, people were, yes, the systems used to, to, to validate the transactions were very energy consuming. And we just, you know, we, we held on. And I think the industry as a whole said, well, we got to fix it as fast as possible. And you just mentioned it, Ethereum 2.0 reduced their um, energy use by, I think, 99.8%. They said that the day after the Ethereum merge happened, 0.2% of total global energy was saved. 0.2 total energy. So it was a very big problem and it was not a sustainable problem. But I think when you have something like NFTs and digital assets that are going to be so critical to infrastructure, we had to find a problem and, and, and they did find solutions. So there are some really cost-effective um, chains like Ethereum and Solana. Um, and I can tell you, it's a lot better for the environment for me to send an NFT to my friend in Germany than, than to ship this, you know, to ship my, my painting on my wall right now, which takes, I mean, we, we don't even need to go through the logistics of, of how long that would get there. So I think overall it's going to be better and cheaper and faster, but. That was a very that was very concerning to me and a lot of other people. Um, but it's, it's fascinating how fast though the industry responded to that because I remember oh, when I heard about the excitement of NFTs and then my friend who's really in the know said, "Do you know how much energy they're burning?" So you, you got to give a lot of credit to the industry for that massive that quick pivot. I, I want to go back to for good because this seems again as I gave that grocery store analogy the roundup that this, and I love the fact that it's in perpetuity, has anybody even tried to guesstimate the potential of fundraising this could be for all sorts of causes? They're starting to. It's, I am so bullish and I have so much conviction in my belief that this is going to solve problems that nobody could solve before in terms of um, speed and access. One of my favorite stories is, and I'm from Cincinnati, and my favorite person to talk about is a young man named Isaac Wright. And he's an NFT photographer and he goes by Drifter Shoots. And Isaac has a very heartwarming story. Isaac was in the military and um, when he got out of the military was dealing with some issues and post-traumatic stress in the military. In order for his mental health, he would climb to the top all over the world of the highest buildings with no chains, oh, no I, security. Oh yeah, I, I've seen this. It's amazing. It's, and, and take photos down of his feet to where my vans go, his van shoes, where my vans go. Well, Isaac was in Cincinnati and climbed up the Cincinnati Red Stadium and they arrested him. He spent a year in jail without bail in the Cincinnati jail system. The Cincinnati prosecutors tried to make an example out of him. We don't know why. 
Um, it's not, you know, in Cincinnati, we've got a long history, but to be a young, underrepresented African-American kid in jail in Cincinnati when the prosecutors are after you is not a great place to be. Poor Isaac sat in jail for trespassing for a year. Finally, Time Magazine and some media outlets got a hold of his story. And once you shine light on a story like that and, and the injustice, it, it was able to get him help to get out. Now Isaac is not only out of jail, he's the number one NFT photographer in the world. But what did he do when he got out? He released an NFT called an open edition. And for 24 hours, anybody could buy his open edition NFT called First Day Out. It's a beautiful NFT. It's a picture of the, him on the bridge in New York and a picture of him in the rain, his first day out of prison. They made $1.8 million in 24 hours and 600000 I believe, he immediately sent to the bail project to help people that were underrepresented get bail. That's how fast and how lucrative one artist and how quickly that money to the bail project. And I, and I think that's what I see. Again, when I say decentralized generosity, I never as a college kid liked those infomercials at two in the morning about where to send my money. I didn't trust those organizations. I didn't know how to vet them. The fact that the blockchain and NFTs are transparent, it makes giving really easy and safe because people will put out, hey, we're raising money for Ukraine. There's a lot of great money being raised right now for Iran. The women in Iran are under attack now. And all over Twitter last night with my friend Shira Lazar, the women are uniting in Web3 because we can raise money faster and safer. We can get money to Iran immediately on the blockchain. We can send it to each other immediately. Um, already, again, when Ukraine went to war, I've got about seven or eight Ukrainian NFTs that said, hey, this NFT goes right to this cause. What a great way for me to donate. And now I can look in my NFT collection. I've got these beautiful commemorative NFTs of my support. Um, but right now, even with Iran, just to watch the women and the supporters of, of human rights on Web3 and Twitter mobilize, create decentralized autonomous organizations, these DAOs and people are throwing money into to find it's so much faster. Meaning I'm not sure what other way I could contribute to Iran right now. I, I don't if it wasn't for Web3 in these communities, I'm not sure what I could do except thoughts and prayers, um, you know, on my Facebook, which isn't enough anymore. It isn't enough anymore. So, for, again, going back to the theme of the show, NFTs for Dummies, I'm the dummy. This um, wonderful uh, gentleman, uh, Drifter Shoots, right? Drifter Shoots. Mm -hmm. How is so he's got he raised this money. You've got 600000 that he transferred to a not-for-profit. How does the not-for-profit then monetize the cryptocurrency? That's, I think that's the biggest misconception I think people in, the crypto, in, our, in our NFT space forget. Because I have friends who are like, well, how do you get to that money? It's one push of a button. Um, it says uh, Ethereum price today is $12,000 equals one. It is immediately transferred to USD and it's in your bank. So it's immediately I think transferred. It's a mis yeah. oh, I, I, right now, I, I'm looking at my account in my MetaMask and I have Ethereum. I want to go buy a car Toyota today. I just hit a button that says transfer to USD and it's in my bank in 33 seconds. I can, I can go to my bank and take it out. So I think there's a misconception that Ethereum is somehow far away, that the transfer to USD is somehow complicated. It's um, it's very quick to transfer Ethereum into USD. It's interchangeable. Okay, I want to ask another question, which is like four years ago, I was at an event and I'm learning about Ethereum and cryptocurrency. And I was educated that you have to have your code, you know, whatever it is, you've got to have it 
so that you can, if you need to go to the blockchain and verify, is that still in existence? You have to have the code? Well, it, it, it's called a seed phrase. So when you set up your wallet, and this is, again, it's just it's for safety, but when you set up your, your MetaMask wallet to NFTs, which is a, the most popular, when you first set it up, they give you a master 12-word seed phrase. It okay. is your phrase. master, All right. but it is a, it is a, you write your 12 words down. And we tell people, don't put it in your email. Don't put it on your phone because if somebody finds your phone, it is the master key to your to bank your account. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But again, because it's a decentralized network, if you lose it, there's nobody to call. I know that was the fear. Like, oh, because I never, I always lose my passwords. So you got to put it someplace underneath your sock drawer or something like that. I, I, I have one copy here. I have one in my dad's house and one of my brothers and they have it in the same. And I have my brothers also. Really? Um, we okay. make sure. Uh, yeah, I, I have him. You got to find someone trusted because I have a friend with three board apes in a wallet, and his girlfriend threw out his <gasps> old desk oh, no. when he was out of town to buy him a new desk. Oh no! And, he, oh, and his seed phrase was only kept in that desk on one piece of paper, oh, and that's no. when board apes are two hundred dollars a piece. Imagine the pain every day because he can, he, can, he can see them. You can go on the blockchain and he can look at his apes, but he cannot access them. No one will ever be able to access them. Unless he goes to a hypnotist and they can remember oh, the, the that's seed so phrase. Bad. Okay. Oh, it's, oh, it, it's terrifying. But but we tell people when they start, really be careful. Understand when you set this wallet up that that seed phrase is it's there to protect you though. No one can break into. But it. I'm also thinking about gosh, that's something you need to put in your will. Hundred percent, and that's that's funny you mentioned that. We're, we're meeting now with insurance um, people in the industry that are coming into Web three, and that's exactly what they're doing. Where. Now that people in their will are leaving their seed phrase, they're leaving their NFT collection. I mean, those wallets now have to be transferable and those passwords and keys. You know, when I look at my NFTs and I know unless you're you're in my brother's safe or my place, there's no way for hackers to get into it. It's it's, it's an impenetrable wall, which is good or bad if you, if you got the key. OK, let's talk a little bit about crypto winter. Because, you know, we're, we're going through a financial downturn here and uh, not, you know, it's not just crypto, it's stocks and stuff are down really. You know, is I've heard this term crypto winter. Is this happening? Is this going to affect NFTs and their value? It has. And, it, and here's the way I explain it. There is a very necessary pullback. And that's what I think I'm trying to explain. Crypto got really hot. It crashed. People were so excited about what was happening. Really, there was a little bit of over-evaluation. The price of board apes, some of these NFTs went completely nuclear. And even at the time, it was very fun and exciting. But there was a bit of over-evaluation, again, based on excitement. It's a very exciting space and these new projects and the possibility of some of the things we're doing in the metaverse really drove those prices. But I think some people just, you know, honestly, I think a, like a ton of bricks, some people just will look at their assets and go, wait a minute, I can get $100,000 for that picture? I, I can... I can actually go buy a house or get a car. I think some people took some profits and, and everything slowed down, but I think it was a very, very healthy pullback. And now I think it's a very, very, very honest NFT price now. I, I think some of the pricing, some of the new NFTs are coming out. People are a little more thoughtful. Um, there was a time where any new NFT came out, everybody was buying it. <laughs> the supply was so much less than the demand. Really? Okay. Oh, man. A year ago when me and my brother and our friends were here, it was one NFT project came out and it was fighting to who could get the mint because you knew if you could get it first, you could make three or four times your money. Now there are thousands of NFTs. So people are a bit more thoughtful. They're, they're researching the teams. They're, 
seeing if there's a charitable component. They're seeing what the utility, they're researching the artist. So I think it's a very, very healthy place that NFTs were now. And I think it was an unhealthy place a little bit earlier this year, again, with those prices. Um, people thought this was just free money and, and that wasn't a good precedent to set. It's just a, a new framework. So you, you've given some great recommendations. So, let, so let's go back. So let's just say I'm a not-for-profit. And okay, Nick, I've listened to Nick and he's convinced me I've got to somehow create some NFTs. Actually, a friend of mine has a a, a, a big cat conservation center called Panther oh Ridge. Yeah, oh so we might, I might introduce on. you to Judy because they constantly, they've got cheetahs there and they just had a baby jaguar, which I got to pet when it was little. And so... Let's say this is for Judy. So Judy, because Judy's, you know, older, she's kind of my age, and she's not into digital that much. What's your recommendation to Judy to try and use this as a fundraising element for Panther Ridge Conservation Center? The first one is the one that I we talked about earlier. I think you were there at the SIS. I was on a panel, and I there were a lot of nonprofits in the audience, and I said, who's accepting cryptocurrency? And none of them were even accepting they, they gave me the same reservations that you had. They said, well, we don't know how to manage it. You don't have to manage it. The first thing is to set up a wallet so people can give you cryptocurrency. That's the way they want to donate. I personally only donate in cryptocurrency. If my friend sends me a message and says, hey, man, I, there's, a, there's a fund here. I say, send me the Ethereum wallet address. I'll send them some money. I, I don't generally use my bank accounts for that. So and as soon as you receive the cryptocurrency, you can turn it into USDA. So that was the big concern. Well, if we take this crypto, we don't know when to sell it, to when to buy it. As soon as you get it, transfer it to, to dollars. And, and it's just like accepting dollars. So my first thing is accept cryptocurrency. Just allow people to give you cryptocurrency would be the first thing. And the second thing is, boy, with animals, think of how meaningful to the people that support that project would relate to an NFT or a piece of art or photos of those animals. It's really NFTs are for the, the, the top supporters of, of a cause. Um, it's a really meaningful way. I mean, imagine if you bought a, 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 a hundred dollar NFT of one of those beautiful panthers and fifty dollars went for surveillance. And that NFT was also now your token to Panther Day. And if you own the NFT once a year, you can come and you get a, a free t-shirt. There's a lot of ways now people are adding utility to ownership of that NFT. Our club. And you can also re-engage people in that club. Maybe if you buy the Panther NFT and the Panther has a, has, a, has a little cub a few months later, you check your MetaMask wallet and there's another picture you got sent for free of, of the cub. It's just, it's a way to really continue to interact with your supporters in any community. So, oh, the, a Panther, that for me, zoos, um, sanctuaries, those are the number one organizations I think could utilize because wildlife photography is beautiful. And, you know, if I could own, own some of it in, in in exchange for contributing, that that sits a lot better than me than again the traditional letter which says thank you. You remember the the Panther Club? What does that mean? I think that's great. I'm I will connect you with with Judy after this. Oh, I'd I'd love to. And that's fun things that that NFTs do now. They'll release a thousand NFTs and say, listen, we release a thousand and a thousand got bought, but ten of you lucky winners win an all expense paid trip to come hang out or meet the beat the Panthers. Um, Again, I think these companies and Web2 charitable companies, I think once they just move to Web3, it'll be faster and easier. But it's the same feeling you get of being a top donor and, and being to play with those Panthers. It's the same thing in Web3. I love that. I love that. Is there a typical 
um, collector. Because when I looked online, I saw a lot of young guys. And it looked like the gaming guys, and they really like the apes and whatever. But now it looks like it's broadened. But what what does it look like, the collector? It, it, you absolutely are right. And I, you know, I have a friend of mine with a very popular collection that we work with, and they just did a recent survey. And they said 92% of the people that responded to the survey were white males between 35 and 45. We have some work to do. But the beautiful thing is in Web3, it's easy to have a project with intent. And again, for example, our Remarkable Women project, um, we have 5,000 NFTs. The first 350, we identified women throughout Web3 and Web2 that we thought were leaders and inspiring women. And we gave them, we gave them two NFTs for free each. We had very much intent to make sure our community foundation was men and women and underrepresented people. Um, with our Black is Beautiful, you know, we made sure to, to reach out to people that we wanted to, the foundation of our community to look like. There overwhelmingly were white males um, at the beginning of Web3, which is why I encourage people that aren't or underrepresented to jump in. Because even though the first people were from that group, there are no barriers to entry, meaning the doors weren't shut behind them. And that's the cool thing about Web3. There are so many underrepresented artists and collectors that, and I mean, I, I, we could have this story for an hour. When I go to some of these dinners and I meet these people and I just know them by their screen name, and then I meet them and I go, wow, <laughs> you are from a community. You are a, you have created generational wealth in a year and a half and you were a barback. You were a college dropout. You were someone who never had the opportunity to even be at a table. And again, for me, the great thing about Web3, it's just true equal opportunity. Your, 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 your parent didn't have to go to that school. Your friend didn't have to know that gallery owner, anybody. And when you see it in the space, any kid drawing at home on their iPad could be the next celebrity overnight. And that for me, you know, we, um, we have two people on our team, Shayna Douglas and Tony Bravado, and they were at Howard University this week. We've got a new NFT called Minting My First NFT Collection. And we've created these really impactful NFTs that are free. And our whole goal is to get underrepresented, these students at Howard and some of these HBCUs, just take your first step. So where, do, Nick, where do I find those? I want to go, I want to go buy some. Absolutely. Uh, if you go to the House of First website, um, under our Black is Beautiful collection, we got Nick Davis. Um, Nick, Nick Davis is our world-renowned artist that did our Black is Beautiful. He created a new NFT called Dream Big, and it was inspired by the HBCU week. And it's beautiful. And it's an HBCU student with his eyes closed, dreaming about the future. And if you go to our um, House of First uh, website, to our Black is Beautiful, it's free to claim. You just need a MetaMask wallet, an Ethereum wallet to collect NFTs, and they're free. Um, and we... We're going to be adding NFTs from Remarkable Women. Um, really, is just an onboarding tool to get people to get that first NFT that's actually meaningful. That's not just an uh, an alien or a, no offense to some great alien projects, but but these are really special. So this has been a wonderful conversation. I feel a little less of a dummy, um, you know, practicing and then le le learning from you. So um, as we kind of wind this down, what are two or three top insights? Again, I'm glad we got through the first one, which is to take cryptocurrency, you know, set up a wallet and make sure you can just accept those funds because they're very generous people in the cryptocurrency space. It's a wild space and 
people can make some money quickly. And a lot of times when you catch them on a good day, um, they'll throw it around. And, and I've seen people <laughs> making, I've seen people make incredibly generous donations in the cryptocurrency space. It's just, um, nice. kind of, sh- kind of shocking. They, they, they share in the joy. Um, the other is just to kind of, I guess, have an open mind. And I think people dismiss NFTs very quickly. And I think with a little bit of understanding about some of the impact, immediately can be very exciting. And I just, um, it, it's about community, which I think resonates with charitable. You know, it's not about selling. It's about making money. The great thing that NFTs can do is really take your community of donors and give them something that they can share together. It's, it's a lifestyle. Um, NFTs, you know, that Board Ape Block Club, it's a lifestyle brand. Um, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle brand. Um, our remarkable women. NFT. It's a lifestyle brand. We have cooking classes in our Discord. We, we, it's a common way we carry ourselves when you own that NFT. And if you have a charity and you own an NFT that commemorates your donation, you're creating a culture and a community that, that people really want to be in. And, and really, boy, adding art to charity, it's just taking something like art that really defines culture throughout time from the middle, middle times through the Romans through, you know, <laughs> art defines culture. And if charity is your culture and donation is your culture, um, add art and it, it, it's more fulfilling. It's going to be magical. So, so I, I love it. So I always give the last mic to my guest to say, is there anything else, Nick, that you want to share with our listeners? I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're late stage professionals, early stage professionals, students, not for profits, influencers of all types around the globe. So any last word? Keep open-minded. Be very open-minded. And again, I talk to so many people about NFTs and I get so many different reactions and some I get are so negative. And not even negative, it's almost fear. And I just want people to know that, you know, there is an opportunity to take this technology and do good or do bad. Um, so I, I just, my, my encouragement is for good people to really take extra attention so we can, you know, with NFTs, there is a new way to create generational wealth for underrepresented communities. And for me, that is so neat. I have non-binary friends, friends from communities that traditionally don't have wealth. And these new foundational systems, there's going to be a whole new table. And I just think it's important to recognize that and don't feel left out. You know, jump in with two feet, mint an NFT. And if I could just give some credit to a few projects out there, you know, that are not my projects, World of Women. If I was a woman and I wanted to enter the NFT space, I would Google World of Women NFT. Those women are changing the world and saving the planet. And their community is based in Web3. BFF, Best Friends Forever, another female-led organization. They are leading um, just innovation and impact and cause-based work through a Web3 community. Um, you know, even at House of First, I will give, you know, our Black is Beautiful and our Rock and Mark Women, we are raising money, um, going to campuses, onboarding. You know, find a community that really resonates with you. So don't get in it for the money. Um, if you're getting in it for the art, I, I also support getting into it for the art. But really, you can find some really impactful organizations that I'm sure people will resonate with. Um, I know I sure have. Super. Um, thank you, Nick. This has been an amazing conversation. I'm not quite as dumb. And I hope our listeners are, are much more informed. And uh, I'd love to ask you back in about a year, if you'd come back to just talk about the evolution of NFTs. Uh, would you do that? 
A hundred percent. And, you know, anyone that wanted to, I'm very easily accessible. I think that's the other thing about Web3. I'm, I'm Mr. Pink NFT on Twitter and my, my, my direct messages are open. So I, I really take a lot of people that have questions and especially if someone has any questions or is interested and wants to further their, um, curiosity. That's kind of why I'm here. So just no one is, no one's ever bothering me. Well, that's super. That's I knew that you were very generous um, when I met you at Social Innovation Summit. You've been incredibly generous for our listeners today. So thank you so much. And I can't wait to have you back to see where NFTs are going in the next year. I very much appreciate the platform. Your questions are very well thought out. And I hope I can help um, people understand a little bit more. And again, if you're frustrated, I'm not kidding when I tell people. My brother for two weeks told me about NFTs and I brushed him off. So if you don't get it the first time and you need some time to think about it, I just want you to know that this is my job and it took me some time to get it to. So just stick stick with it. Okay, super. Thanks so much. Thank you, Nick Fontova. He's the chief marketing officer of the Metaverse team at Landmark Ventures. He loves his job and he's very generous with his time. So thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.